If you have your Bibles, open up please to Matthew chapter 7. The message is titled, Jesus the Peacemaker. We'll be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. This is what Jesus wants us to get. He says, uh, or Jesus uses word pictures to call his followers to share the gospel without condemning, but with discerning, without giving up in prayer, but with kindness, without forgetting the exclusivity of Jesus, and with carefully inspecting the lives of Christian teachers. So where are we going today? Well, today, in light of the final judgment, we should embrace our role as peacemakers while trusting Jesus through persecution, whether that's outside or inside the church. Now, uh, before we read the text, uh, there are word pictures in every culture. Uh, you can think of them as idioms or, or phrases. And I have a coworker, a good friend, he's from Tanzania. And sometimes when we're working together, the phrases I say don't immediately translate because we grew up in different cultures. So he was asking me about a week ago for some guidance on a traffic signal design. And he had this idea and he said, well, what do you think? And really, his idea was fine. It could be done a number of different ways. E- either way was okay. So I said to him, well, you know, really six in one and half a dozen in the other. And he just looked at me like, what in the world did you just say? And, and I mean, that's just a phrase I've heard growing up. It means whether you count it as six or you count it as half a dozen, the result's the same. It's, it's the same number. But I had to explain that to him. There, it, initially, he had no idea what I meant when I said six and one and half a dozen the other. So I did some research this week to find phrases in other cultures that we may not readily understand if you're like me and grew up here in the United States. See if you can guess what these might mean, these word pictures. The first one is from India, and they will call uh, certain things ear nectar. Ear nectar. I had to think about that. What in the world do they mean by calling something ear nectar? It means a very sweet noise or sound. So if they really like music, they might call it ear nectar. So there you go. Uh, another one, this is from France. If, if they're going to criticize uh, specifically a young lady, they might say she can't stop being the owl. And what they mean by that is she is such a flirt. Can't stop being the owl means she is such a flirt. In Japan, they might say um, that you're not supposed to put clothes on your teeth. Don't put clothes on your teeth. I had no idea what that meant. Anybody know what that phrase means? Don't put clothes on your teeth? Okay, none of us were familiar. That's good. Uh, In Japan, that means tell it to me like it is. Don't dress up your words. Just tell it to me straight. Don't put clothes on your teeth. Uh, in, In the Dominican Republic, if some man says to you, men, uh, it's time to go to the pineapple, that is not a good thing. That means it's time to fight. They are mad at you and they're ready to fight. If they say it's time to go to the pineapple, that means it is time to fight. In Puerto Rico, uh, if you're really nervous, really worried, they might say you're like a crocodile in a wallet factory. Somebody's really nervous, they might say you're like a crocodile in a wallet factory. And and here's one that I love. This is from Spain. 
If somebody is flat broke, has no money whatsoever, they might say they are cleaner than a frog's armpit. If you have no money, apparently you are cleaner than a frog's armpit. In Italy, <laughs> uh, in order not to talk about throwing up in an, uh, you know, vomiting, they might say somebody is making the kittens. So if you're throwing up, apparently you are making the kittens. <laughs> uh, in, in Chile, if you're really scared and you're running away, they say that you have thrown a chicken at yourself. So if you are scared and running away, you have thrown a chicken at yourself. And then this was my favorite. This is an old saying from Russia. And the saying is, I'm not hanging noodles on your ears. We would say, I promise I'm not pulling your leg. I'm not telling you a lie. But they would say, I'm not hanging noodles on your ears. So if you want to tell somebody that you're a truthful person, you can either say, I won't put clothes on my teeth or I won't hang noodles on your ears. There, there you go. The point is, these sayings are memorable. I promise at some point this week, you'll think about hanging noodles on your ears, right? That just is, who hangs noodles on your ears? Well, Jesus knows this. And he has many pictures like that for us today. Now, if you're like me, I'm a literal thinker. I'm an engineer. I struggle with abstract language. But if, if you'll do the work with me of listening to these pictures, you'll never forget. I promise many of you years from now will remember Pastor Jeff having a plank in his eye because you just won't be able to forget that. But here's where we're all going. Each of us has this opportunity to meet Jesus as the great peacemaker. And then we are called to be little peacemakers. I invite you, if you have your Bible, to stand with me in honor of God's word as we read from Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. God's word says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and to the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. For which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? 
So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow. The way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The answer is no. (laughs) So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Father God, this is an amazing passage. The words in this Uh, they they could stick with us for a lifetime. You've just chosen these incredible pictures. And I ask that today you make us like little kids, eager to understand your words and to apply them to our lives. Holy Spirit, we need your help. We need you to give us uh, the attention to listen and the humility to apply well. And Jesus, most off, we need you. And I'm asking God for everyone here that you work peace in our hearts today. Remind us that there is a great war and that you're the only one through whom we can have peace. And and God, give us the courage to tell others about the peace they can have in Jesus. We ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right, some of you are very artistic people. Some of you can write poetry. I know a brother here who can do that and writes his own music, and I am uh, in awe. I cannot do that. I just, I don't have many artistic bones in this body. And so metaphors are hard to me, but clear statements, those I get. And so in verses 21 to 23, I'm calling this standing before the Lord on that day. That's where I want to start today. Because I think at the end of this passage, Jesus stops talking in metaphors and just tells it like it is. So if you're like me and you're kind of confused by the pictures, I appreciate when Jesus finally just tells me what he's talking about. And I think... That's what he does in verses 21 to 23. So look with me back at verse 22. Jesus said in verse 22, on that day. Well, before we can answer any other questions about the passage, we have to know what day is he talking about? I mean, is it Monday and Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday? You know, what day is he bringing up here? 
And I believe he is talking about the final day or judgment day. Let me show you two passages that I think point to this in the Gospel of Matthew. First, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 15, Jesus will tell his followers that it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. That is, for the towns who rejected him. And then again, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus teaches, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. You see, according to the Bible, Jesus came. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He's seated right now at the Father's right hand. And when the Father tells him the time is right, Jesus is coming back in bodily form. And on that day, every single person, those who are dead, those who are alive, will stand before Jesus. And one at a time, we will have to come before him as judge and be evaluated as to whether we will be welcomed into the kingdom or we will be sent to suffer apart from God. Every single person, me included, is either going to hear, come in or depart from me. I am not your judge. You are not your judges. Your dad is not your judge. Your mom, your granddad, your grandma, the president of the United States, there is only one person who will be on that great white throne, and his name is Jesus. Now, here's the scary thing. This passage, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, talks about people on that day who expect to hear, come in, but they hear, depart from me. Look with me back at the passage. Look at verse 21. These people say, Lord, Lord, to Jesus. Apparently, they address Jesus as Lord. Look at verse 22. They do many things supposedly for Jesus. They might even be teaching the Bible at a church. And yet, they hear the words, I never knew you, depart from me. Jesus is going to warn several times in this passage with words like this because he wants to warn us away from the danger of hearing the words, depart from me on that day. In other words, Jesus loves you. That's why this is in the Bible. He does not want you to face him on that day and hear, depart from me. And what he's warning against is no small thing. He's warning us away from suffering in hell forever after that day. You see, in this passage, there's the word destruction in verse 13. There's the words cut down and thrown into the fire in verse 19. And there's depart from me in verse 23. And so if we put destruction and fire and depart together, 
Those combine to mean Jesus is talking about not just a bad day, but a bad eternity. He uses these phrases again in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, when he says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hey, I don't like talking about hell. I don't get up in the morning and go, you know what? I'm going to give them a really fun message. I'm going to talk to them about hell. They'll just love that. If it were all up to me, I probably wouldn't talk about this. I'd, I'd probably want to skip it and go on in the passage. But I'm called by the Lord to lay plain to you the scriptures. And I don't get to pick and choose what I preach. This is in here as a loving warning. And so if I'm going to do my duty to you as a pastor, I have to lovingly warn you that there is a God who loves you. And there is a place called hell and it's real. And it was originally prepared only for the devil and his angels, those who rebelled against God. But if you never commit your life to Jesus Christ, the only place for you is with the other rebels. That's why Jesus came. Jesus is the great peacemaker, and he is offering you peace with God, but you must decide to take him at his word to receive that peace. The beginning of the Sermon on the Mount had a beatitude that said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I believe Jesus hits the high point in his sermon here because he gets to the biggest and most important moment. You see, there is a war going on and it has been going on since Genesis chapter three. But the war is not between Russia and Ukraine, though that is going on. The war is not between the East and the West, though that has gone in the past. The war is between every human being and almighty God. Because every one of us has sinned. And when we sin, we have rebelled against God. And so we have, even though we don't think about it this way, declared war against him. And he is so gracious and so loving that he extends to us this offer of peace in his son. That's why Jesus is the great peacemaker. What this means is no matter how moral you are, how many good deeds you've done, how many times you've sat in a church or how much offering you've put in the plate or even who your relatives are and how Christian they are, nobody is going to get into heaven on their supposedly good deeds. We may not say things like, well, Jesus, I prophesied in your name or I've done mighty works in your name, but be careful of saying something like, my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds or I always gave money to that church, or I walked an aisle one time way back when, I've heard these many times, I heard a few weeks ago, well, I'm a really spiritual person. Hey, hey, I love you. You may be really nice, but if you've not trusted in Jesus alone to forgive your sins and are not committed to following him as your Lord, you are going to hear, depart from me, I never knew you on that day. You must embrace Jesus alone. 
Okay, so that's the day he has in mind. Now we're ready to listen to these other images. So go back with me to the beginning of Matthew 7, and we're going to look at the wood and the dogs and the pigs. He starts off with this thing of the speck and the log. And, and I know, if you're like me, you've heard probably more than just about any other Bible verse, that Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 where it says, judge not lest ye be judged. I think people who've never read any other verse in the Bible know that one. So we will get to that. But first, let's imagine the scene. And Jeff, thank you. You, you give us a vivid picture here to imagine. But I want you to imagine that we're going to go on a construction job. And there's two workers there. And, and Brother Kevin, I'm sorry, these guys are not safe workers. I don't know. They, they totally failed their OSHA class. Who knows? But they, they're putting up a roof and they have an accident. And they're both injured. And they both have to be taken to the hospital. And the triage nurse comes to the first worker and says, hey, tell me what's wrong. And he says, it's my eye. It's my eye. I think a splinter came off in the roof and got lodged in my eye. And she writes something and said, okay, thank you. And she goes to the other and says, okay, what's wrong with you? And he says, my eye, my eye, I think something got lodged. And she looks and the center beam of the roof is sticking out of his eyeball. And then imagine she says, okay, well, the doctor's kind of busy. Which of you wants to go first? And the guy with half of the roof in his eye says, oh, it's okay. You can let my buddy go first. Nobody says that, right? Like he'd be going, that's what you would say if you have a beam sticking out of your eye. You wouldn't be like, oh, it's no big deal. I'm okay. Go ahead and help him first. No. And that's so ridiculous. Jesus wants us to see that there's an equally ridiculous thing for Christians. We have this tendency to notice other people's specks before we notice our logs. R.C. Sproul helpfully said it like this. When we have planks in our eyes, we consider them specks. And when we see specks in others' eyes, we view them as planks. You see, Jesus is calling us not to pronounce condemning judgment on other people as if we have never sinned. Jesus is calling us not to pronounce condemning judgment on other people. Now, I'm going to make an argument this morning that based on Matthew 5, 9, where Jesus calls us to be peacemakers, that the passage today has a unifying goal, and that is to help us to embrace our role as peacemakers. There's numerous applications we can get from these passages, but suppose for me, just with me just a minute, that Jesus wants to equip you to share the good news of peace with a world at war with God. And he knows that when he tells you, hey, it's your job to go share the gospel, you're going to encounter somebody who does something really wrong. And if you're like me, you're going to have this natural thing going on in your mind of like, ooh, that's really bad. And you might be tempted to say in your mind, maybe not out loud, but in your mind, something like this. You know, that person is so bad, I don't think they'd ever give their life to Christ. That person is so wrong, they may be a little too far gone for God. That person has loved sin for so long, 
I don't know that they're ever going to give their life to Christ. This passage assumes Christians will be about the work of peacemaking and says, hey, 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 if you're going to be a peacemaker, you cannot assume anyone is too far gone for our King Jesus. So judge doesn't mean you're not allowed to use discernment. He's about to tell us to discern who's a pig and who's a dog and to discern good trees from bad trees. But Jesus says, it's not your job to pronounce condemnation. Jesus says, that's my job on that day. Our job is to seek to be peacemakers. Okay, so then what does he mean when he says, do not throw your pearls before pigs? If we're, okay, we're supposed to share the gospel with people. We're not supposed to assume anybody's too far gone. We get that. Well, he, he turns around and he says, don't give dogs what is holy and don't throw pearls to pigs. Now, this is pretty funny. I promise you in Jesus' day, there wasn't this problem with like uh, a priest going out after the worship service and taking the extra holy Bibles and saying, here dogs, come here come here, I'll give you a Bible, you know, that that wasn't going on. And also what wasn't going on was these ladies dressed in really nice clothes with fancy necklaces and they'd go out to a pigsty and say, here pig, here pig, if you're hungry, I've got a necklace for you. Like I promise that wasn't the problem he was speaking about. So what is he, what is he talking about when we go to the dogs and the pigsty? Well, the point is, a pig in the mud is not going to see the value of a pearl. Let me break it down. Jesus is warning us that there will be times not to share the gospel. He's just said you need to share the gospel and you need to never assume anybody's too far gone. And now he's going to give us the other side that says, but hey, you're going to have to use discernment and wisdom because there's times not to. In my family, we grew up with dogs. We always had dogs in our house. I like dogs. But Jesus, when he uses the phrase a, a dog and the, giving a dog what is holy, he is not thinking about your cute dog pet. He's thinking about a scavenger, a stray animal. Uh, think of the story that is told when the dogs are licking Lazarus's sores. That's not a cute pet. That's a, a mongrel. And he's thinking of a similar thing with the pigs. This is not a compliment. Pigs were unclean animals in Jewish society. And then the pearl, we can learn from Jesus what the pearl represents. He will tell us that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value sold all that he had. So the dog and the pig represents an unbeliever who is deeply in love with his or her sin and the pearl represents the gospel. It would seem initially like Jesus has just said, share the gospel with unbelievers and then don't share the gospel with unbelievers. But this is where we must be wise and go to the Holy Spirit. There are times, Christian, where you must move on and not unnecessarily frustrate non-Christians. 
One night when I was in college, a buddy of mine, Dwayne, we wanted to help out our fellow college students, and that was good. And we wanted to share the gospel with them, and that was good. And we knew that many of them would rather have a beer than hear about Jesus. So we decided on Friday night where they were all at the clubs and at the bars, we would go try to tell them about Jesus. And that might sound heroic, but actually it was pretty dumb. Because what happened that night is we got uh, yelled at a few times and cussed at, and we had a whopping zero profitable conversations with people about Jesus. They didn't want to hear it. They had zero interest. They were about their sin and they didn't want to hear about Jesus. Now, it's not that I should view people who drink or people who party as way too far gone, but it was a little foolish to try to engage them on the Friday night when they're inebriated. You see the difference? Jesus is saying, yes, you're a peacemaker. Yes, you must consider the fact that you were forgiven of your sins, but there are times and places that are not wise to keep pushing the gospel. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me give you one that's probably happened to you in your life. How many of you have a relative you really care about who's not a Christian? Go ahead, raise your hand. Got somebody you love, care about that's not a Christian? I sure do. Have you shared the gospel with them at some point? Even if it you know, wasn't like Billy Graham perfect, but you've tried to tell them how much Jesus loves them and they did not place their faith in Jesus. It's happened to me. And then I've wondered, well, is it my job every single time I'm around them to, to keep bringing up Jesus again? Do, do I have to turn every conversation to being about Jesus? How, how often do I bring this up? Well, these twin commands from Jesus are so helpful because he'll say, you can't get to a point where you say, you know what? I'm done with that person. They've heard as much gospel from me as they're going to get. Nope. You've been forgiven far more than you're ever going to forgive them. So you're going to keep looking for opportunities to share. At the same time, don't give dogs what is holy or cast your pearls to pigs. At the same time, you're going to need to go to the Holy Spirit and look for good opportunities to share. You don't have to make every single conversation a full-on gospel presentation to be a faithful witness in their life. See the difference? Okay, the dogs, the pigs the wood. Well, that leads us to the question, suppose that relative, you've shared the gospel, they've rejected it. What do you do if you're not supposed to share the gospel with them every single time you see them? That's what Jesus addresses in Matthew 7, 7 to 12 with the bread and the fish. Look with me. He says, ask in verse 7, seek and knock. Now, if you go down with me to verse 11, Jesus talks about your father who is in heaven. And so you put these together and Jesus is talking about prayer. Specifically talking about persisting in prayer. Jesus uses these three words to give us one picture. Ask, seek, and knock. So we get to imagine another story. Imagine that we are bounty hunters, okay? Some of you probably watched that silly old show, Dog the Bounty Hunter. You don't have to have the long hair in your mind, but you're a bounty hunter, right? So if you don't know what that means, that means it's your job to hunt down someone, right? And what would you do if you're looking for someone? Well, you'd first do a lot of asking. 
hey, do you know anything about this person? Do you know where they like to live? Do you know where they might hang them out? So you're asking about them. And then you're going to go on a hunt. You're going to search for them. And finally, you're going to get to a point where you say, I think he might be in this house. And you're going to, hey, open up. This is uh, so-and-so, and and, uh, I'm here to bring you in, you know. Uh, So we've got this image from Jesus of somebody asking, somebody searching, and somebody knocking as they're trying to find a specific person. And here's what he's hoping for us to get. He is hoping that we will have that attitude as we pursue God, specifically on behalf of those we care about who are lost. I love the way the Christian Standard Bible teases out the fact that we're not just supposed to ask one time or to seek one time or to knock one time. This is what Matthew 7, 7 in the CSB says. It says, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened to you. Hey, all of those images are a way of saying, Christian, keep praying. Don't give up. Don't get tired of doing the work of interceding on behalf of the person you love who's not a Christian. Keep on going. And then Jesus reinforces it with another picture. So we get to move now into a home on a little kid's birthday. All right, so kids, I want you to imagine it's your birthday. And your mom comes to you, because I'm assuming your mom's a better cook than your dad. If your dad's a better cook, that's outstanding, so you can think of asking your dad. But she asks you, what kind of cake do you want on your birthday? Do you want a chocolate cake? Do you want a vanilla cake? Do you want the cake with the raspberry filling? Do you hate the raspberry filling? Do you want one of those cookie cakes with the ice cream on top? I mean, oh man, I'm getting hungry just thinking about this. So... You ask, say, for your favorite type of cake. And then it comes your birthday, and they set out this cake in front of you, and it looks so good. And it's got all the icing on top, and you blow out the candle, and then you go to cut in the cake, and it's like, chunk, and it doesn't go anywhere. And as you scrape off the icing, you know what you find? It's not a cake, it's a rock. Your dad has covered a rock with some icing and said, here you go, here's a cake. How many of you kids would like getting a rock instead of cake for your birthday? Man, none of them. Okay, one, Cash wants a rock. Okay, so there you go. You can uh, give him a stone. But the rest of you would rather have a cake. Uh, Jesus does one other of these on a kid's birthday party. He says, okay, let's imagine something like a little girl. And her mom says, baby, what's your favorite meal that you want for your birthday? Now, kids, I can imagine some of you might say macaroni and cheese, or some of you might say chicken nuggets, or some of you might say a McDonald's Happy Meal, which, I mean, when you're a kid, is about the best hamburger in the world, but something happens when you hit, like, 16, you go, there's better hamburgers, but that's okay. You know, if you like McDonald's, you know, praise be to God. If your colon has matured like mine, and you can't do McDonald's, that's okay, too. So, uh, the point is, this girl in this story asks for fried catfish, some, some kind of fried fish. And, and they bring out the meal, and she's sitting there so excited, and they have one of those trays, you know, and they lift it off, and you know what's in there? It's not a fish. It's a snake. How many of you would love a nice steamed rattlesnake for your birthday meal? 
Cash, would you, would you go for it? No? Okay. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> so you can have an interesting birthday. <laughs> no, the point is, even like dads like me, and, and I mean, Wes said, I'm not going to throw you under the bus, but you know, we, we can sometimes pull pranks on our kids, but there's a line, and giving our kid a rattlesnake steamed for a birthday, it crosses the line somewhere. Like, not even weird dads like us would go that far. Jesus says, even lame dads don't do this, and I'm a, we've got a good father. And so, when you ask and keep asking, when you search and keep searching, when you knock and keep knocking in prayer for your loved one, you can know this. Even if God doesn't act on your timetable, he's gonna do something good. It's not like we have to worry, well, well what if I pray for God to save my friend and like it, it makes them go to hell all the faster or something? no. God's a good father. He's not going to do that. You pray and you keep praying and you trust that there's a good father in heaven listening to your prayers. And when it's his time, he's going to do something amazing because he loves to give good gifts to his children. Now, I know some of you in here, uh, you know, and this is wonderful, you believe in a sovereign God, that there is a God in control of every electron and every galaxy in the universe. Praise God, that's the God of the Bible. So we can wonder, well, well what use is it in praying? If God already knows everything, and he already knows who's gonna be saved, why bother praying? Well, here it is. The same God who is sovereign over molecules and galaxies has appointed that some people will not come to Christ until their friends pray for them. You don't believe me? Listen to how this is talked about in the Old Testament. God gave this promise. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if... My people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. God just declared that certain good gifts will not be given until we pray. And so Christian, we pray and we keep on praying. And I say that, and I know how hard that can be. My wife and I prayed for years for her mother who has since passed to give her life to Christ, to be changed. And I, I admit, and she knows this, that there were times I got discouraged. I mean, I thought, okay, it's been six months. Certainly we'll see some movement. And it's been a year. Certainly something will happen. It's been a year and a half. Maybe we'll, we'll, she'll at least go to church with us at this time. It's been two years, three years. It was seven years of praying. And along the way, she got cancer. And about two years into the cancer, I remember having a conversation with her one day, and she told me, Jared, there's not one day I could go without my Savior Jesus. And it was the first time I'd ever heard her profess faith in the Lord. And so I, I'm not saying that if you pray, somebody's going to give their life to Christ in a week. This may be a call to many years of faithful praying and praise God. I promise we don't look back on it like, well, that was a waste of time. No, we wish we'd have prayed more to see God give that good gift. Look with me in verse 12. 
Not only are we supposed to keep it praying for our lost friends, Jesus gives us something to do. And if you're like me and you kind of like working with your hands, this is really refreshing. He says, whatever you wish they would do to you, do also to them. What are we supposed to do? Okay, we've got this lost friend that we've been praying for. We've shared the gospel. They haven't given their life to Christ. What are we supposed to do day in, day out? More than just praying. Well, praying is the most important thing you can do for them and love them. Love them. This is Jesus summarizing the moral commands of the entire Old Testament when he says, whatever you want others to do to you, do that for them. Later in Matthew chapter 22, he'll summarize the Old Testament in two commands. First, you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And second, you love your neighbor as yourself. And that's his summary. And so here, he gives us an easy way to think about it. He says, every human relationship, you have the potential to show love by putting yourself in the other person's shoes and what you wish somebody would do for you, you turn around and you do that for them. This takes compassion, consideration, and it's a way to show love. So think about that lost family member for a minute. Get them in your mind, the friend who's not saved. If you're in their shoes, maybe it's at work, maybe it's uh, thinking of a scenario like their birthday's coming up, maybe it's uh, thinking about a, a certain holiday that's coming up, like the Super Bowl or the 4th of July or Christmas, what do you like for people to do for you at that time? Do you like it if somebody remembers your birthday and sends you a card? Do you like it if somebody says, oh, it's Christmas and I, I love it when people figure out what I like to get? Do you like being invited to a party, even if you have to say no, just to feel included? Do you like it when somebody recognizes that you could use a little bit of help and they do it without even asking? Hey, if you like those things, do that for them. This is a way for you to keep witnessing to somebody without casting your pearls before pigs. What Jesus means is kingdom citizens find creative ways to show love to non-Christians. And I'm going to challenge you each to do that for that person this week. Pray for them and find one way to show them love. Pray for them and find one way to show them love. Well, Jesus brings us to then to the most important point in verses 13 and 14. He's going to talk about a pair of gates and roads. One pair of gate that leads to a road. It's got this really wide gate. It goes onto a really wide road. We'll call that the highway. And then there's the other gate and road and it's this itty bitty tiny gate you know you kind of have to shimmy through it to get through it's like the guy didn't build it for you know wide people and then there's um this this little hiking trail on the other side and so he's talking about a highway and a hiking trail one with this huge gate that when it's open man you could fit six lanes across and the other gate eh, it's so tiny that you know only one person can fit through at a time. What's he saying with these? Well, look at verses 13 and 14. In verse 13, he mentions that that highway goes all the way to 
destruction, whereas that hiking trail goes all the way to life. Jesus is talking about nothing less than on that day of judgment, there's only going to be one very narrow, difficult path that leads to eternal life. And there's one particular gate, and that gate is himself. You see, he is declaring that he and he alone is the way to find eternal life. Kids, as we've been learning on Wednesday nights, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. Jesus wants us, if we're going to be peacemakers, not to give up praying, not to stop showing them love, to be looking for opportunities and humility to share the gospel. And he doesn't want us to quit before the crucial step has been taken. Here's what I mean. Every non-Christian is going to take steps towards God at some point. And it can be exciting. Hey, they came to church. Hey, hey, they, they read a Bible for a little bit. Hey, they have agreed that, that there may be some higher power. And these are good. These are real. These are important. But they're not the step they need to take to go through the narrow gate and get on the narrow way that leads to eternal life forever with God in heaven. I have a friend that I've been talking to for a while uh, back in Reno, and this week we were on the phone, and he was telling me about share, or, uh, um, proposing to his now fiance. She said yes, <laughs> and uh, he set it all up. They were up on a mountain peak in Colorado, and so it's snowing and everything, and I thought, whew, good for you. My wife would not have liked that, but uh, hey, that's, that's them. They, they enjoyed that, so there's snow. They're in their parkas and everything. They hike up on top, and he, on top of this mountain, he gets down on one knee, and they, get, they got this picture, and it's just beautiful. I mean, like, wow. And, and this guy doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in Jesus or anything like that. But as we were talking, he said, you know, Jared, there was something almost magical about being up there. I mean, dare I say, spiritual. And he's, he's heard it from me, I promise. He knows uh, where I stand. He's heard the gospel from me. And, and it was a big deal for this guy to admit that when he's on the top of a mountain, he feels like there's something more than just a big rock going on up there. That maybe there is something beyond what he can see and touch. And that's excellent that God is doing that work. And I think Jesus knows there's a temptation for me to go, all right, my work here is done. The guy says he's spiritual. That's good enough. You know, Jesus, you can take it from here kind of thing. No, that's, I mean, praise God he's taking the step, but my job is to keep praying for him. To keep looking for those opportunities to tell him, yes, there is a God. And his son is Jesus. And he loves you and died for you. And you need to trust him so that you can be with him forever. So Christian, we've talked about our role as peacemakers. And I get it. This is a task. If you've tried to do this, if you've tried to share the gospel with one person, I promise you've felt a little bit of anxiety I have. Don't, don't think that because I'm up here, like every time I try to tell someone about Jesus, it's just so easy. 
I mean, sometimes I think kids are a little better at it because they have less inhibitions, you know? They can just share, and it, it, it's without fear and without getting nervous. I get nervous just the same as you. And so we have this thing called the church where we get to help one another. We get to encourage each other. We get to pray for each other's friends. We get to be like a family together as we seek to be peacemakers. And Jesus has to round out our morning by saying, you gotta be careful who you go to for help as a peacemaker. In verses 15 to 20, what I'm calling looking for the wolves and the bad trees, Jesus gives a a little warning here. He says, um, hey, hey, Christian, in your role as peacemaker, when you're gathered as a church to help one another, part of your job is to make sure you're listening to good teaching as you learn how to be peacemakers. He gives two images again. The first is with a shepherd in a field, and the shepherd has got his staff, and he's ready to guard that flock. And he's got his eyes peeled for any animal that comes in that doesn't look like a sheep. So fluffy tail sheep, fluffy coat sheep, fluffy, you know, okay, all these fluffies, that must be the sheep. Uh, but if, if something came in there and it's got bristly hair and it's gray and the flock's white, then man, he's going to take that stick and he's going to go beat on some wolf. He's going to do his job. He's going to take that wolf out of the flock. But what if that wolf got smart and somehow figured out how to wear the skin of a sheep so it looked like a sheep? Man, that, that shepherd would have a hard time. And then Jesus says, let's move now to an orchard. He imagines this farmer going out uh, and and looking at his trees, and man, they're beautiful trees, and he's got two rows, and both of them uh, have have big green leaves and have these nice, delicious-looking fruit, and and he goes up to the first row, and he takes some fruit, and he takes a bite, and it's just the sweetest fruit you've ever tasted, and then he goes to the next row, and he takes a piece of fruit, and he takes a bite, and he can't even chew on it. It is sour as all get-out. It doesn't even taste like fruit. And he tries another, and it's the same thing. It's so sour. And, and, and he says, Jesus wants us to take these two images and know what we're supposed to do to guard the faith. He says, hey, Christian, part of what you're going to have to do when you embrace this role of peacemaking is you're going to have to prepare for some persecution both outside the church and inside. To be honest, outside's easier. When the wolf is dressed up as a wolf, it's pretty easy to go, hey, you're a wolf, I ain't listening to you. And we can band together and help one another pretty obviously. But what happens when the wolf's in here? What happens when it looks and sounds so good, so Christian? What do we do? And Jesus said, hey, this is time to use discernment and to inspect the fruit in the lives of your teachers. What Jesus is talking about is that there are going to be those who seek to oppose God's plan of proclaiming peace to a world at war by messing up the church, by messing with the gospel, by getting us focused on the wrong things, by getting us confused on what the main thing is, by saying something like, you know, because God knows already who's going to be saved, you don't really need to tell anybody about Jesus, By saying something like, you know, that church has four pastors. They'll tell people about Jesus. Don't you worry with that. 
There's been false teachers ever since the beginning. Like this guy, Joseph Smith, who claims to have had a vision from an angel Moroni that said, hey, Joseph, let me tell you, every single denomination in Christendom has got it wrong and they need you to make a new Christianity to get it right because the Bible didn't have enough revelation. Oh, and by the way, that Jesus character, he's not really the one true God. He is just a God among many who once upon a time was a human and did a good job. And Joseph, you need to go and start a group called the Mormons in order to make sure we get the church right. Guys, they ain't Christians. It's false teaching. It's a wolf in sheep's clothing. So here's the the warning at the end of this. When you go into a Christian bookstore or you go on Amazon and you search Christian books, be careful of who you're reading. If If you don't know Ask me, ask Wesley, ask Pastor Jeff, ask Pastor Chuck, ask uh, Brother Daryl here, ask another Christian. We'll help you find a great book to read. If you're looking for a good book, if you go out these doors to the left, there's a shelf. It's got a bunch of great books on it. You don't even have to ask. Go for it. Take them, read them, maybe bring them back when you're done so that somebody else can read it. But these are good books. Uh, Read them. There are many, many books being sold at the Christian bookstore that I would warn you are not Christian. Okay, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but as I prayed and wrestled about this, I've got one that I have to mention this morning. There's a book by an author named Sarah Young. It's very popular right now. It's called Jesus Calling. As I've done research and I've looked into what happened and I've talked with some different people, I would warn you, this this is probably not a good book for you to read. Here's why. If you don't know the book, you can just ignore me. If you know the book and you have it on your shelf, you don't got to be embarrassed. I've read bad books before, but I tell you, this is probably a false teacher. And here's why. Sarah claims, especially in the early stages of her book, that she would read her Bible and there was something missing and she needed a fresh revelation from God. And so she sat down with a blank page and as God gave her that fresh revelation, she wrote down straight from Jesus what he told her. I was talking with a lady one day who became a Christian after she was a witch. And she told me, Jared, we're taught to do that in the occult. It's called spirit channeling and writing. We're taught to sit in a room, to ask the Spirit to come and move our hand. And whatever we move, we know that the Spirit has given us fresh words. And so maybe she knew it, maybe she didn't. But what Sarah Young is advising in her book is a form of the occult. And it's not what Christians do. She's also suggested, at least in part, that this Bible that we've got is not enough for you. And that's wrong. This Bible has everything you need for life and doctrine. You don't need something beyond the book of Revelation. It's all you need to know how to be right and happy with Jesus. Now, there's others, but I I just, I have to warn you about these things. Again, if you've got it on your shelf, I'm not going to come over there and stomp on the book or nothing, but I would warn you, this is not a good book to read. Uh, Go over here or ask me. I'll get you a great book to help you grow in your walk with Jesus. Well, we're going to wrap up this morning. We've heard all kinds of images, right, from dogs and pigs to the uh, log in this guy's eye. We've heard about the snake and the stone. We, we have seen the good trees and the bad, the hiking trail and the highway. Hey, 
remember that Jesus is trying to get us to that final day. And he wants us to hear, come in, not depart from me. He wants us to all be peacemakers, but the truth is you can't extend peace to somebody else if you've not received it first. And if you're here this morning and you've never received peace by trusting in Jesus, I want to tell you what that looks like. It's a simple prayer. You confess, God, I agree. I have sinned against you. I've rebelled against you. I'm not right with you. I need you to forgive me. And I trust that Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment I deserved so I could be forgiven. You ask him to forgive you and you pledge to follow him as the Lord of your life. Now, you could pray that prayer and kind of hold some things back like, eh, I'll just kind of dip my foot in, but that's not how it works. When you put your faith in Jesus, it is your whole weight. It is your whole life. It's God, here you go. I'm all in with Jesus. Forgive me. And as I pray here in just a minute, if you want to do that, I'll try to lead you through that prayer. Christian, if you're here this morning, as, as I pray and then as, as um, the music is playing, would you use this time to do some asking and some seeking and some knocking for those you know who aren't Christians? And, and I'm going to warn you, what I'm going to pray is that the very person you're asking for, that you'd have an opportunity to talk to them this week. And when that opportunity comes, be brave, be humble, be loving, but tell them about Jesus. Let's pray.